2: Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Alan Rusperger, I'm the editor of Prospect, and today I'm really delighted to be joined by the former executive editor of the New York Times, Bill Keller, to discuss a really fascinating feature he wrote for the most recent issue of Prospect about the Americanisation of British prisons which asks whether our criminal justice system is heading towards the same levels of dysfunction as its American counterpart. Bill, welcome. And perhaps I could ask you first... Thank you. ...about how you became interested in the whole issue of criminal justice, whether that, I know it was a sort of, what you call a late-in-life conversion, but was it while you were still editing the New York Times or was it after you left?
3: Neither. It was in 2014. At that point, I'd finished my eight years as executive editor of the Times and was writing a column. I'd been doing so for a couple of years. And I got a phone call from a former journalist turned financier turned philanthropist named Neil Barsky, who asked if I wanted to become the founding editor of a new journalism organization that he was founding, a nonprofit called The Marshall Project. Aside from the sort of requisite covering night cops for the Portland Oregonian, when I was a rookie, I really never focused on criminal justice as a subject. I wrote a couple of columns before I gave Neil an answer and was appalled by the conditions of criminal justice system in the U.S. And so I left the Times and joined him and spent five years there before I retired from that gig, uh, immersed in... Cops, courts, and corrections.
2: Perhaps it would be a useful piece of context if you can give us a broad brush description of what it was about the American criminal justice system that so dismayed you once you began to study it in detail.
3: Sure. I mean, the the numbers are pretty familiar to to people by now who followed them of the criminal justice issues. America incarcerates more people than almost any other nation on earth in proportion to its population. They tend to be overwhelmingly people of color. The American policing has come under intense criticism, especially since the George Floyd killings. But even before that, as unnecessarily reliant on force and unnecessarily or exceptionally focused on communities of color, the thing that stuck with me and has stuck with me in the years since I began my education on this subject is the waste. That's the waste of human potential. When, if you've spent any time in prisons or talking to inmates or talking to former inmates, you're struck by how much lost potential there is in the prison system. And that's, I guess, if there's one thing that's my motivating driver, that's it.
2: That's a, that's a useful piece of context. So you, you're in the UK, you're living here most of the time at the moment, and I, I ask you to do a comparative piece of, about our own penal system. Tell us about the approach of how you decided to tackle this subject as somebody, who, as an outsider.
3: I started by talking to a lot of people who follow the issue, either as advocates or charities or present and retired wardens or governors, as you call them, And I did a lot of reading. I spent a lot of time talking to your friend, John Podmore, who's quoted in the piece, who has been a governor of prisons and has written a book some years ago called Out of Sight, Out of Mind, a a real flaying of the UK criminal justice system and particularly the prisons. And then I approached the Ministry of Justice press office and asked for some assistance in getting into prisons because I don't think you should write about something you haven't made an effort to see for yourself. They declined my request to help, but a lot of other people were willing to help. Uh, There are plenty of entry points into the prison system. The Howard League for Penal Reform, Andrea Coomber, who was the director of the league, was particularly helpful in connecting me with through side doors into prisons and accompanied me on a couple of visits. It's striking that nobody was surprised that the Ministry of Justice didn't want to be very helpful because there's not a lot of political gain in focusing on the people behind bars. I mean, Out of Sight, Out of Mind is a was the ideal title for John Podmore's book. But once you're in, the wardens have a lot to say, as do the staff and the inmates. and And I was struck by the consensus of all of those people that things are headed in the wrong direction in the UK.
2: Just just to pause there, I mean, if you'd been writing a similar piece in the States, would it have been any easier to get inside prisons? Are they more accessible?
3: I can't give you a uniform answer to that because we don't have one prison system as you do. We have a federal prison system, 50 state prison systems, and then what we call jails, which are for people who are awaiting trial or awaiting sentencing. There are thousands of those. And there is no uniform level of openness. As a general rule, I would say corrections departments are more opaque than most government institutions. But there are so many options, so many prisons out there that you can usually find some place that will let you in.
2: So you write in the piece about a variety of prisons HMP Coldingley, Pentonville Thameside and Five Wells can you describe the sort of spread of experiences that you encountered in those different types of prisons
3: sure Pentonville which was the last one I visited is represents the literally Victorian era relics Pentonville is in North London but there are Roughly a third of the, the prison estate is, consists of these places that were built when Victoria was queen. And this is say show their age. Five Wells and Thameside I wanted to see because they're both run by private contractors. Um, Five Wells is in East Midlands and is the newest prison in the estate. When I was there, it was not even entirely occupied yet. They were still bringing in prisoners, and it's the place that prison officials like to hold out as a model to to show that they're to show their level of enlightenment. It's a new facility. It's run along relatively progressive lines. Thameside is a an older prison, but has been under under private management for. A few years and Coldingley, which is in Surrey, was appealing because they had they have 500 or so prisoners. A large number of them are people serving long term sentences, life or or double digit years, and they have a occasionally have an event they call Lifer Day, where they bring in people from the prison advocacy groups and. The parole board and charities that deal in prisons and prisoners serving life gather and get to question them about the bureaucracy and the politics of the prison system. So I went to a lifer day at Coldingley and found it fascinating. I'm not sure that covers the entire range of the disparate prisons in the uk system but it gives you a pretty broad a pretty good idea of the breadth
2: i think you've been inside more prisons than many people writing about prisons in this country if i can read one one paragraph which um from your piece which really encapsulates the trend in this country you write but an american journalist exploring the uk's version of punishment he has many echoes of american dysfunction and they are growing louder And then you list them. Overcrowded cell blocks, low staff morale, violence and self-harm, rampant drug use and mental illness, a severe shortage of rehabilitative activities, a parole system widely described as an abject failure in safely reintroducing prisoners to the free world. As in the US, the UK's incarcerated population is disproportionately black, about 13% of those behind bars compared to 4% of the population at large and inmates of colour find the system suffused with racism, subtle and not so subtle. And you also mentioned the fact that sentences in England and Wales are growing more draconian, which is driving up prison populations. And that's, and there's also an exodus of experienced staff. So that all amounts to a fairly dismal picture, which, which confirms the suspicion that, that we're learning the wrong lessons from from the american experience
3: yes i'm not sure how much of it is an attempt to emulate the the american experience what does the lawyers say correlation is not causality i mean both the us and the uk are responding to realities on the ground and two of the realities are first of all that doing a prison a proper prison uh, is expensive it costs a lot of money, and prisons in my country and yours have had periods of austerity. And the other thing is that the population that's served by prisons, meaning the inmates, is not a terribly sympathetic constituency. And so the politics, the, there's not a great political will or incentive to fix things. It's, it's so much easier to get up on a pedestal and, and fear monger and talk about woke prisons and pretend that prisons are country clubs.
2: After the break, we'll talk more about the crisis in British prisons. If you enjoy our podcasts and you would like to consume more of our journalism, we'd encourage you to subscribe. A subscription unlocks full access to Prospect content across newsletters, web, app, and print, and right now. A subscription to Prospect costs as little as £1 per month. So visit Prospect Magazine, or one word,
0: Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
2: You say that you visited two private prisons and you said when you talked to some of your British friends they were surprised to learn that, that there were private prisons in this country, firstly. But how did you find them in general? How did you find people talking about their experience of being in private prisons or working there? as opposed to the, the government state-run prisons?
3: The thing that surprises my British friends, even more than the fact that there are quite a few privately managed prisons, is the fact that they tend to be among the best in terms of the conditions inside. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And this may be an advantage that's not sustainable over the long run. But first of all, privately run prisons are the newer prisons. There was only one attempt to privatize one of the Victorian-era prisons. That was in Birmingham in, I think, 2018. And there were long, long-term long riots. And since then, the ministry has not tried to, to privatize another one of the old older prisons. So they've got a more modern infrastructure to start, to start with. They pay better so that they can uh, attract and sustain better talent. And so there's more of a sense of stability, which was noticeable in the private prisons I went to. And the other thing is they don't have to have every everything they do second-guessed by Whitehall and uh, judged on, on whether or not it's a political plus or not. They have a, a good deal more autonomy. They still have to answer to the... Official mo- government monitoring agencies, and they still have performance metrics in their contracts that you know they have to follow, but they don't get bogged down in the bureaucracy the way the public prisons do.
2: You write that it's going to take another Strangeways. That's a reference to the the riot at Strangeways prison in Manchester to awaken public attention. Can you explain a bit more about what you mean by that? The, the sort of sense of the, the hidden problem that the public and politicians only really pay attention to when something goes badly? Yeah,
3: well, the last time the UK had a major push to reform prisons was after the Strange Ways riots, which were in the 90s and spread from one prison to several prisons, went on for days. And as a result, there was a government, the government commissioned an investigation and a long report called the Wolf Report made a long series of recommendations to, to make prisons more constructive and less volatile. And further, there was a while when that report was seemed to have some potential to bring about radical change. But by the turn of the millennium, the political will for reforming prisons and doing something about the overcrowding by providing more purposeful activity like education and job training and therapy and addiction treatment the political will for those things had all but disappeared. You know, the in your country and mine, liberal Democrats discovered that beating up on crime appealed appealed to a lot of people who might otherwise <clears throat> be going with the conservatives or the Republicans. So you've had Tony Blair and Bill Clinton in our country, and Joe Biden, who was then chairman of the Judiciary Committee, all hammering away at the need to curb crime, and the solution being (laughs) more severe sentencing, three strikes you're out, those kinds of policies. So, a couple of the people that I interviewed suggested that, and maybe this is somewhat facetious, it's certainly not something anybody really wishes for, but that a good riot might wake people up to the need for prison reform.
2: It seems such a no brainer, Bill, when you when you write about prisoners being locked up for 23 hours a day, that it's, as you say, it's such a waste of potential, but such a waste of the opportunity to, to rehabilitate people, to educate them, to give them skills, so that they can have a better chance when they're back outside. But that it's a rare politician who will make that argument. I guess that's true on both sides of the the Atlantic. Well,
3: the critics of investing in prisons treat it as pampering or as a gift. It's easy to appeal to the the mean-spiritedness or the vengefulness or the punitive nature which exists in both of our societies. I'm always struck by the fact that the overwhelming majority of people in prisons will get out in the U.S., it's upwards of 90%. I think it's pretty much the same in the U.K. They'll eventually get out. And what the system does now is it sends them out into the world, alienated, brutalized, with no employable skills, often with no solution to their emotional or mental problems or addiction problems. And you can't sense, you can't do that to people and send them out into the world and expect them to be good citizens and good neighbours. So, you know, I think instead of thinking of programming in prisons as being a gift or a favour that we were doing, we should think of it as an investment, an investment in public safety.
2: What is the American media in general? That's a very broad generalisation, but I think one could certainly say in the UK, the, the tabloid press is fairly influential in whipping up Hostility towards anything that would look like a liberal penal policy—is the same true in the in the U.S.?
3: Yes, a decade or so ago, there was a <clears throat> the growth of a conservative prison reform movement, which was based largely on the sort of libertarian philosophy that the prison system is just like any other big government organization. It's uh, it's you know wasteful and oppressive there were, you know in 2016 there was a whole array of republican presidential candidates who endorsed something called right on crime which was born in texas of all places and was basically not a com- complete agreement with the more progressive news organizations but some they found some common ground since that time They've largely been silenced by um, the Republican re-embrace of tough on crime as a standard for for somebody's elect uh, uh, electoral prospects, and that's been fed by our tabloid press and and especially by Fox News, which is you know. It's, spares no opportunity to identify woke behavior on the in the prison reform movement.
2: It must be difficult being involved in this world for so long to keep your spirits up. I'm wondering what positive signs you see, if any, in the world that you write about.
3: I do. I think paying attention to this issue has <clears throat> made me more of an incrementalist rather than an absolutist. I don't see any prospect that Prisons are going to be transformed into universities or anything like that. But I do see a lot of goodwill and creativity on the part of people who run prisons in both countries. In our country, there has been a a lot of interest in how they do prisons in Scandinavia and Germany and the Netherlands. My heroes, if that's the right word, are the the people who run prisons and who've tried to experiment with doing things better. And in our country, there are a number of prison systems that have made field trips to Scandinavia and the Netherlands and Germany, where they have more progressive prison systems, and have tried to set up sort of pilot programs to apply the lessons of those countries Um In your your country, there are uh, a number of inventive governors who have set up special units, for example, for um, drug treatment, where you create a smaller unit within the prison, and people are given incentives, mainly more time out of their cell, in exchange for being tested for drugs a couple of times a a week. Pentonville, which is a... Said earlier is one of the older Victorian era relics in North London recently opened a unit for prisoners with autism and ADHD, attention deficit disorder, who have a hard time adjusting in the general population. And they've created the special unit for them where they get more therapy and and don't have to put up with the torments of the general population. Those kinds of things I find encouraging, although they're hard to sustain. They cost money. The people who sponsor them move on to different jobs. But nonetheless, I wouldn't say this gives me a sense of optimism, but it gives me a sense of hope, which I cling to. Well,
2: as it can be a very depressing subject, to end on a slight net of hope is probably the best we can hope for. Thanks so much, Bill, for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, then do grab a copy of the brand new issue of Prospect Magazine, which has got Bill's really excellent feature. We've got a cover story on the monarchy and the seabed. It was news to me that the monarchy had seized ownership of the seabed in the 1960s. We've got science journalist Phil Ball on whether AI can think and how afraid we should be and much, much more.